Hello and welcome to Lady Time, a podcast where we have in-depth conversations with women and men about how they're navigating their midlife, as well as a little stroll into their lives and their work. I'm your host today, Joe McGregor, and my guest is Lisa Berry. Lisa is a student of ancient and modern yogic teachings. She's based here in Galway in the west of Ireland. Lisa shares the knowledge of yoga that she has gained from great teachers through study and through her own practice, an exploration of asana, pranayama, meditation, yoga philosophy, and the subtler energies of chakras and mudras. You're very welcome, Lisa. Thank you, Jill, and I'm really delighted to be here. So thank and, you. And I'm very delighted to have you. I know that we're going to get into your yoga later, and it's very, very interesting all that you've told me about it so far. But as we usually do, we'll start um, with your journey into midlife, which when we were talking earlier, you said you felt adrift. Would you mind diving into that little bit for us? No, uh, not at all. Um, I suppose I felt um, I felt adrift, but I also felt lonely. Um, I was asked about my mother and her mother, and this was something I hadn't discussed with my mother. And my my grandma died when she was only forty nine, and I just didn't have anybody to ask. And and I, I also I didn't have the vocabulary as well to ask, which I felt were the right questions about my choices with menopause. Um, I had early onset menopause at the age of 41, but it wasn't diagnosed until I was 44. And I think, well, I know that um, I'd stopped my periods and I knew something wasn't right, but there was so much else going on in my life that it seemed easier to just push it away. And to me, it was just one less thing to worry about. And, um, and then it was only when I think I was saying to you when I had an issue with my body or my body broke, my body was trying to tell me something that it came up, that it was, it was early onset menopause. And then the questions came about my mother and I'd been dealing with grief that I wasn't kind of really processing properly. And, um, and the grief had a lot to do with regret about not having enough time or, a stronger relationship that I wish I would have had and all these questions that I didn't ask her that I wish I would have had so it brought up a lot of that for me when this got diagnosed and and again like I say I didn't feel like I had the vocabulary to really help myself and to get the best out of the support I could get from say my doctors or friends I kind of kept it to myself my husband was very supportive but again he wouldn't have the vocabulary he'd never experienced this as well and his mother was a lot older when he was born so she was you know it's not something he grew up with as well a, a menopausal mother or, or sisters because she uh, his sister was 20 years older than him so she'd left home um so it was a lot of those those feelings and and not I suppose feeling disempowered and, and it was only when I shared my story in a women's teacher training that, um, and it was in a circle and I used to struggle mentally with circles that it was like, oh, 
you know, do I have to go into this circle and say my name is and just go through this? What am I going to say? And I thought, well, the only thing you can say is what you're experiencing now. So I shared the story of an injury that I had in my body that led to me going to the doctors. And um, before my appointment, um, it was decided I should have a smear. And then the nurse asked me when was my last period. And I said, oh, three years ago. So then it was all a roller coaster from there. So I explained, well, I shared my story. And within that circle, little bit known to me was this amazing lady who had um, set up this um, Menopause Matters in the UK. She set up a 24-hour helpline. Um, she, she, at the moment, she has a campaign and it's called um, Make, Menopause, uh, Make Menopause Matter. And um, she's been petitioning the government. She's doing amazing work, but she was in this circle of in, in Dublin. And she, I felt like she was my guardian angel. She just handed me all this knowledge that was so empowering to me. I had no idea there was bioidentical hormones, which is plant-based hormone therapy, because I'd had to make a decision about HRT from a point where I felt adrift and isolated. I'd done some research myself. I didn't want to take HRT. I was kind of deep into my yogic journey. I wanted everything to be natural. The choices I were making was really in line with the environment. And to take HRT just felt like I was going against everything, how I wanted to age. But then when I started doing the research for somebody my age, there was all these warnings for early onset Parkinson's. My doctor was really saying to me, you're too young not to take it. You know, you've started to age already with no support. And I felt so under pressure um, that I decided to go with HRT. And, um, and I explained all this in the circle. So she took me to one side. Um, her name is Diane. I've wrote it down because it's really worth um, noting. Her name is Diane Dansbrink. And maybe I can give you the link after if you put it in the notes, um, because the resources she has on her website are just amazing. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great, Lisa. And I'll definitely put it in the epi notes. Anything at all that's of use or help to people mm -hmm. going through this. So, yeah, because she shares her own story. She ended up with surgical menopause and she was in a very bad, bad way. And, and she, she said, if I ever get through this, if I ever get through this, you know, this is this, I want to have support and resources for other women going through this. I am not the only person going through this. So she has a really wonderful story. And then the work she does now, and it's, it's all free. It's just, it's phenomenal what she's doing. And, but she told me about the synthetic hormones that I, I wasn't aware of and about um, how they're made and I've I haven't eaten meat since I was 17 years old you know so that's it's a long time it's over 30 years and to think how these animals are treated to create these synthetic hormones which I wasn't aware of um so coming away from that with her advice and um, she kept in touch with me after was just the most empowering thing that knowledge kind of made me take ownership of my journey of my menopause 
And um, she looked at what I was taking and I was so fortunate um, that one of my, my estrogen was um, bioidentical. And I think it was by fluke, you know, because it wasn't intentional and the progesterone wasn't. So I could go to my doctor and say, look, uh, this is what I want to do. Um, can we source a progesterone that is bioidentical? And um, she said to me, um, she said, well, it's very unusual. It's like we're making you a cocktail. It's very strange, but let's give it a go. Let's see what we can do. And um, so it, I think it comes via the UK. I think the one I have now is, is via Spain. And um, they, I, I had a few trials and errors with different methods. You know, you can take them internally and you can have a patch and the patch just I did on for 12 hours and I was having panic attacks and, and I was afraid to take it off. I was afraid to keep it on. It was just crazy, you know? So it's a, it's a real exploration of what works for you because it, that could work for somebody else perfectly, you know? Um, um, and my, I suppose my experience of all this was, um, was my body, I suppose, trying to tell me something was wrong. Um, and I, I, th I know that we've chatted uh, briefly, um, Jill, and I mentioned that I had an injury when I, I started my yoga teacher training. And um, I'd, I'd gone to another studio to ask for help to get deeper into a posture. So to me, I already knew that was the wrong thing to do because I wouldn't go to my own teachers. Yeah, because they would have probably said to me, no, Lisa, your body's not ready. So I, I think I knew I was kind of doing something wrong because I had to do it away from my environment that felt really safe and, and very honest. So I asked a teacher to help me to get into a posture, which he kindly did. He didn't do anything wrong. I'd asked him and I got into this posture that I've never been able to get into. And it just felt amazing. And I was, I was exhilarated. I thought, this is just fantastic. And the day after I was walking and I felt this big pop in my hip and my pelvic um, bone came out of its socket and it was just agony. And I went to um, an osteopath, which is still the same one I go to today. I'm this amazing um, osteopath in Galway. And every time he was able to get my pelvic bone back in its socket, it popped out again. So this went on for, for months. And then all the way through my teacher training, I had this horrendous, this pain. And, and, that's, and that is literally what I put it down to, that I'd forced my body. So I had an awful lot of blame, self-blame on top of other things that were going on. And, and then when I, um, I got another injury, this had more or less subsided. And my, my right shoulder, I had a lot of pain in my right shoulder. And my, my teacher, my yoga teacher recommended this shoulder specialist, this physiotherapist. And when my first appointment with him, he asked me two of the most important questions anyone could have asked me. And it wasn't to do with my shoulder. And he said to me, are you sleeping? And I thought, that's a strange question. And I said, but I didn't. I was a terrible sleeper. I just said, oh, no, no, I'm not a good sleeper. Never questioning or looking why or just no. And he said to me, um, 
And do you get hot at night? Do you have hot sweats? Oh, yes. You know, I really do. And I hadn't told my husband. I hadn't told anybody. It was like, I didn't even think it was a shameful thing, but I told nobody. Like I was dripping wet every single night. I wasn't sleeping. Didn't, again, maybe just subconsciously I knew, but then just put it way behind. And he said to me, when you leave me now, you go and you make an appointment with your doctor. It's really important that you do this. And then it turned out that what manifested in my shoulder um, was actually a neck injury. So I went, so from him, I went to my doctor, which then I have my smear, met with my doctor. So I ended up going for a CT scan and a MRI scan. So um, it was in um, the MRI scan that it came up that I'd lost a lot of bone density in my hips and in my lower back. This ended up being really comforting news because it took me off the hook for me blaming myself for my injury with my pelvis, because then it made sense to me. Well, of course, if I'd gone through premature menopause and then I'd ignored it or I didn't know it was there, I had no, I'd lost a lot of bone density that of course I'd have an injury. You know, why wouldn't I, whether I was doing yoga or not, something was going to happen, you know, so it was a relief to stop blaming myself for what I'd done to my own body. And, um, and I think, um, and with that and with sharing my story, learning from Diane, who was willing to be there and share her story, you know, um, I have a lot of respect for circles now, an awful lot of respect for women's circles. And they tend to be women, not always, you know, it's important that, men have a space as well to to share what's going on in their life and and it was only um and it was a year later after this women's teacher training i went to a retreat with the same teacher she's called uma dinsmore tooley and it was down in ennis in clare and we went into circles and i hosted a, a small circle so i shared my experience of the circle that changed my life which it really did sharing what was going on with me and it was only after that somebody in that circle came up to me and she said you sharing your story change you sharing your story story changed my life because I felt so alone I thought I was going mad I thought I had something wrong with me and what you explained was what I was experiencing I went and got help you know so the power of sharing what we're going through what we're learning you know, that knowledge isn't just for us to keep, it's, it's for, it's to send it out there. You know, it's really important. There's so much in what you say, um, Lisa. And one of the first things is the very fact that I know you were younger when you went into menopause and I, 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 I didn't go in until maybe late 40s, but I was the same age as you when things started to change. But is, isn't it really interesting that it, you didn't, first of all, it never occurred to you that it could be menopause or any even perimenopause. Um, and the other thing, because it's not in our culture, is it, to be talking about what happens to women as we get older, or men for that matter, but particularly with the physical symptoms that really happen to us. And it's such an amazing stage in life. Mm. So it's, it's, it's just, it's coming in now into conversation and into 
media, but not when you were going through it and not when I was going through it and a whole host of the other women that we've spoken to on the podcast, myself and Carol. Um, but it's interesting that, uh, what was it your chiropractor, did you say, who actually pointed it out to you? Or, well, he was the one, well, no, he was yeah. a physio and um, he oh, was the one physio. who asked me those yeah. two questions. Yeah. But I, I also have to say, it kind of it, it's surprising me that that was a man who asked that, me that. That's what I was going to say. It was and, a man that pointed it out. But also my osteopath. Um, I'd, I I went to, no, so I, the physio asked me that and he, he just, he looked after my shoulder and my neck and then the osteopath kind of looks after everything else. And that's why I'm, I'm very drawn to, to that because it's so holistic. It looks at the whole body, not just at the area of the body that has the injury, it's the whole body. And, and this is, to me, this goes back to, gosh, it was, it was a man who asked me that question. I'd said to my female doctor, um, and I was on, I was on the bioidentical HRT. So I was having periods again. Now they weren't as regular as I used to be. And I was very fortunate through my life. My periods never gave me any, any hassle, any difficulty. They didn't last very long. I, I got pain now and again, but nothing, you know, cause I know, and I have friends who really, really suffered. So I was lucky with that. So I, I was on the bioidentical HRT and I'd started um, menstruation again and um, I used to get this pain in my hips and the only way and it sounds so strange is it felt like both my hips had mouths and they were screaming that's I, it's the only way I could explain it my two hips are going <gasps> screaming as loud as they could and I, I used to get this and I remember saying it to my female doctor who just shrugged her shoulders as if to say no, I've never heard. She said, me, I, I said, have you come across this before? She just went, no, like, absolutely not. And on the off chance, I said it to my osteopath. I said, my hips. And I said, I know you're going to think I'm silly. They scream. I said, they scream. And I said, it's like they open up and scream. And he said to me, oh, I, are you due on then? And I just, I flippantly said, no, no, why? Like, no. And I went away and like that, I, I came on my menstruation. And, and then if that was like a light bulb and that it was another man who said that to me, you know, and the, the woman doctor, three more doctors was just like, I don't know. But then of course, why wouldn't it be that? You know, when you think about where my hips are, where everything, you know, it's it's that part of that body, the whole sacral area, you know, the the movement and the fluid and everything that happens there. And and that's what happened and until maybe just a year ago. That's what I got every month or you know, when I had my period was my my hips just screaming. It's just the strangest thing. But I don't get it anymore. But That's yeah, amazing, Lisa. But then you know, you're you're also a person who's very in tune. You're you're very in tune with your body, probably because you've done you know yoga and various different things. Um, but I thought that that image was just really powerful when you when you just said it, and it's like, oh, of course, we're biological. We we can talk to our bodies. Every our bodies are always talking to us. Yeah. So there you go. Your hips were screaming at you, you know, to say something's going on. This is happening and this is coming. 
I think that's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, it really is. And really amazing that two different men were the, the people that 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 pointed out that, you know, you were going through the menopause. It just goes to show you, you know, and it's not, I mean, I'm very glad of, of all of our medical doctors because it's a certain type of medicine. It's not the whole picture in my view, but it is an aspect of, of medicine that, that I'm very, very much welcome. Um, but you, so like a chiropractor, or no, sorry, I keep saying that. A, I know. <laughs> an osteopath, I mean, does look at a more, it has a more holistic way of looking at the body and sometimes to the physiotherapists as well. But it, it is interesting because they're having to look at all the different things that may be causative within your body. Yeah. Um, but that is amazing. Uh, in, in terms of um, the bioidentical hormones, did you say you worked with someone in England? Uh, did you have sessions with someone in England or was it here? And how does that work and, and how did you experience it? Because you said your periods came back again. Uh, did they come back oh, yeah. in a short while? Because well, that's, I suppose that's the HRT. They, they I suppose they, they get everything working again so that you have a period. You know, that's, and to some extent I did, but it's, I, it's, um, it, then it just slowed down and slowed down and slowed down. Um, but I did for the, the first couple of years, because I've been on the bioidentical HRT since 2014. So to me, that's a long time. You know, I'm, I'm reducing it now and um, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm down to maybe a 50% less dose than when I started, but I'm also doing that so being supported by Ayurveda. Um, so the nutrition of Ayurveda, the remedies, and also the treatments. And, um, and I get the treatments in Galway with um, Ona Canavan. I know you, you know Ona. Mm -hmm. Just feel so blessed that we have her in Galway. She has so much knowledge and um, it's, it's just amazing. But the whole way that Ayurveda supports women in this part of their life is just, it's amazing. And I'm, I'm blown away by it. Um, I had tried to reduce um, my, my dosage myself without telling anybody apart from my husband and without really researching it properly. I just felt like it's been so long I'm on this. Like I, I probably would have been out of the menopause by now. And, and I suppose it goes back to the way I live my life, whether it be yogic with it, whether it be in tune with the environment. I, I want to do things as natural as I can, but my body wasn't ready. And when I tried to, I can't remember if I tried to just stop or just do it half, or just like I take half a dose. Straight away, I had the most, I had migraines or headaches that I've never had. And my my mother used to have migraines and my mother died of a brain hemorrhage and her mother died the same. So when I do get something, I am a little bit gosh because the head and it's just something I've never had. And, and I live a very different life than the way my mother lived her life. So I, I know that it's not a natural thing that I should, you know, that I may get a, you know, die of a brain hemorrhage, but I, I would always notice I'd stop to think, right, what, what am I doing? What have I been working too hard? Um, I doing too much. What am I eating? So I look, you know, I'd always look at these things, but straight away, as soon as I reduced the HRT, hot sweats, not sleeping, 
a lot of worry. And I know they call it, do they call it brain fog? I think that's one of the symptoms. <laughs> oh, it, everything just closed in on me. And um, I just became, I think, fearful. And I'm not a fearful person. Um, I love the unknown. I love trying something new, but I felt very small and very fearful. So I I increased the dose again and just like this, I, I felt fine. And then last year, there was a book that I've been meaning to, to get and uh, I ordered it and forgot that I'd ordered it. And it was Dr. Claudia Welsh and it was Balance Your Hormones, Balance Your Life. And um, and it's, look, it's looking through the lens of Ayurveda, but also Chinese traditional medicine and Western science. And it's, it's, it's an eye opener. But it, again, I found it just like being in that circle and for Diane to be in that circle, this book became like a Diane. It became, it made, it empowered me by the knowledge I was gaining by reading this book. So then with this knowledge, I went to my own doctor and I went to Orna Canavan and I said, with the help of both of you, I want to reduce my HRT. So, so the doctor knew what I was doing. Orna knew where I was coming from. So I'm, I'm like, I'm 50% reduced now. I feel in a good place and, um, and I'm researching, um, there's, it's called seed, seed medicine and it's a seed cycle. Um, and you can use this for menopause, but also for young girls who have really bad menstruation and that could suffer from acne as well as all the other symptoms and inflammation. And it's taking these seeds. Um, when your periods are finished, you would use the, the moon. You'd use the new moon to take two, two seeds and you'd the full moon to take the other seeds. And and, um, actually, so what are the seeds? Are they special seeds or... No, they are um, flaxseed and um, pumpkin seed, sesame seed and sunflower seed. And two of them are with the new moon, two are with the, um, the full moon. And you, you'd, you'd have them fresh. So you'd grind, you'd ground them, you'd do like a week supply, you'd ground them down and you would then put them in, say, the freezer just to keep them when they've just been ground so they don't lose any of that. In yoga, you'd say prana, that life force, you know, because especially seeds can go very rancid quickly as well. Um, so I suppose it goes back to the environment. It goes back to nature. It goes back to yoga, to Ayurveda, you know, to, to be in rhythm with nature. And I really, I, I feel there's so much, but well, it's been proven. There is so much medicine in plants and in soil that it makes sense that we, we can take those in to heal ourselves you know so um it's really empowering it absolutely is and just want to briefly go back to the the bone density that i lost and mm -hmm. uh, all this has come back and it's it's come back with with calcium um magnesium and zinc but with diet and with yoga and my doctor rang me and she said i don't usually ring my patients because when um, I'd lost this bone density, she was telling me to drink milk. And I said, I don't drink milk. You know, I haven't drank milk for the past 30 years, but you need it. And I said, you don't need to drink milk to get calcium. You know, the cows only get, the cows produce calcium because they eat grass. <laughs> That's the only reason how they produce calcium. And um, so um, I just carried on with my diet and I take a, a good dose of calcium, magnesium and zinc. 
but a handful of sesame seeds. If you chew them, this is Ayurveda um, wisdom. There is 1200 milligram of calcium in a handful of some, uh, sesame seeds. So I take that every morning, you know, so there's so many ways you can help yourself, support yourself, nourish yourself and, and really feel like you again, you've got that rhythm with nature. You're not moving away from it. You know, it's again, I, I keep going back to being empowered by it. Well, that's amazing because, um, Lisa, I'm looking, I can see you and mostly our, our, well, all the time our interviews go up on audio and we will put the, the videos up eventually. But you look, I don't even know, I haven't even asked you your age, but you do not look more than mid, late 30s. I'm 51. Well, you don't look at in any way, shape or form at all. But, you know, I love what you said about nature. And it's great because you mentioned that earlier. And uh, recently, all the years that I have been taking natural remedies and essences, and I'm pretty much down the same route as yourself. Um, but for the first time, I finally got it. I was listening to something online about uh the, the whole of a herb, for example, or the whole of a, a plant herb, anything that's from nature, but that the, the whole of the plant has everything in it that's needed if, it, if it's something you, you need for your body to heal you of something. But the plant has the whole of the thing in it. Well, say what a pharmaceutical company will do is take the just the, the one property that they want out of it because you, you can't patent anything in nature yeah. and uh, they can patent something if they take the one property out they want to use and then they alter things by adding other synthetic things and then it's man-made and therefore they can patent it and I thought I cannot believe this obvious thing all these years that um, a, a natural plant that we can get is going to give you everything that you need, including the way that that particular property will work within your body because it needs the whole of the thing. And uh, it just occurred to me for the first time, I'd say in about 30 years, like yourself, of taking things that, oh, the penny dropped. I know I, I'm almost embarrassed to actually admit that <laughs> publicly, but that is what happened. And I went, of course, you know, why wouldn't the seeds, why wouldn't all of the things in nature, we're biological beings and uh, everything is there in nature for us to heal ourselves. And, you know, we need to move our bodies as well, which I don't do half enough. I mean, you're great. You're doing yoga all the time. Um, excuse me, but everything else I do, you know, all of the, the, the essences. And I love that you brought that up in the podcast. Absolutely. And the seeds thing, I definitely, for myself, want to know more about that because my bones and my, my not my bones, but my, I'm beginning to ache in a way that I didn't ache before. So I know I'm missing something. 
But that's that, that's again, that's your body, isn't it? It's telling you that you need to move, and especially when we're sat at our desk so much, yeah. you know, like yeah. we ignore it. We just we we kind of we hear the body, we we feel the body that it needs to move, but it's like no, the mind is like no, we just get this done, we'll just carry on, we'll just keep going, and it's until your body's saying, okay, what else do I need to? What else do I need to do to make you move me? You know, what else? And I'm the same with my neck now. Um, you know, if I'm in a position and I have to wait and until my neck hurts, it's like, oh, oh my God, what have I just done? Why? You know, why did I let it go that far? You know, and when, when I'm being good, I will set a timer. If I know I've got quite a bit of work to do, I'll set my timer. And then every 20 minutes, I just stand up, I walk around, I come back down. But it's when I don't do that, I have to have my body tell me, you know, come on now you know yeah I'm aching why am I aching there okay I've been here an hour and a half and I haven't moved you know and I'm sure for for most it's a lot longer than that oh but yeah oh it is for me my day job is very very desk bound and even though I've set myself up at home very well you know I'm not you know I even have a a, a standing desk uh, converter that I can stand up lower it and higher higher it and lower it to stand up but um, I, I'm glad to hear that even someone that teaches yoga and does all sorts of stuff also finds it hard because I always think I'm the laziest person in the world. No, no, uh, it is hard. But that that is really, I mean, that is everything that you've just been talking about is, is really amazing. Do you mind if I ask you what kind of um, Ayurvedic um uh things have you have have you used and has orna yeah. done with you in terms of to help you through uh this stage of life for you well to to be honest treatments are just amazing i i think and but i think for somebody to be able to touch you and to take away and to move that pain that you've been feeling is is just an amazing experience you don't come away from a treatment with honor and not feel completely nourished. You, you just can't. It's, it's just, um, I just think it's really, really special. And to have that kind of, um, that healing in your hands, you know, she really has it. You also have to be willing to surrender and let her do the work. You know, and I know that can be hard. I've never found that difficult. I, I will give myself to anybody on the table if they if I know that um I, I well, I suppose trust comes into it. I've had a really some very, very good therapists that I trust so much. And because of that, they're able to work on me. And I know it can be it can be difficult when you're tense, you know, it's harder for them to do their magic. So you've just got to surrender and let them in there. Um, um, the Abhi Anga, which I think is a, the self-massage, is if I think as an individual, you know, we're told as women to, to check yourself. And it's just something that just, for me, it just doesn't sink in. But with Abhi Anga, I'm touching myself all over my body. So you, you, you end up being more intimate with yourself. You end up really knowing your body so much so much more because we can looking in the mirror is not the same as feeling your and touching your whole body. And that's what Abby Anger does. And I used to think I don't have time for it. I get up and I do this and this and this, 
But when I make the time, what that does for the rest of my day is, is just amazing. So my practices in the morning really anchor me, my, my meditation and my pranayama, my, my practice. This is another element where my skin throughout the day is amazing. It really is. But that massage in the morning is really grounding and you, you put the warm oil on you go into the shower and you just use hot water and really what you're doing, you're sealing that into you and, um, and you'd, you'd wash your bits and that's it. You wouldn't wash off the oil. And, um, and then I'd come from, from there. Then I sit down. So I do that now before my pranayama and my mantra meditation. And so my body is, is warm and it's even, it's easier to sit down as well after I've done that. Then I go up and I, I do my, and then I do my physical yoga practice after. Um, but food wise, I, I'm eating, um, I'm taking in food that is a, a phytoestrogen that naturally produces estrogen. So I make plant milk with cashew nuts. Cashew nut is a really good um, plant that produces estrogen. Um, so it's taken aloe vera. Um, I take it internally and externally. And it was Ona who recommended that as well. Internally is to cool down and externally, especially I ended up with um, menopausal acne and I'd never had spots and, and it shouldn't have been a big thing for me, but it was. And I just, yeah, I didn't expect it to be a big thing for me, but it upset me. The all I could see were these spots and um the aloe vera topically so um, i buy the aloe vera to take internally um puka and but i make the aloe vera i have a lovely big plant that keeps producing and reproducing and i just um i take off the skin and the sides and then i blend it up and i have it in a glass jar in the fridge it's the most amazing under eye uh, moisturizer as well in the morning it takes all the puffiness out so i come upstairs when i'm warming my oil and i put my aloe vera on my face and my neck and my chest and then I put the oil on top when I go down. Um, and I ask you, Lisa, when you do the oil in, in the shower, is this some Ayurvedic oil that Orna has given no, you? Uh, no, you can buy oils. But um, I, I use some um, cold-pressed virgin organic sunflower oil. So it is said that, see, Ayurveda says, only take in what you will put on your skin. You know, or only put on your skin what you will eat. So I use all those really high-grade organic oils I would buy in Evergreen. So I've used coconut oil, olive oil, but some flower oil works for me. So they say that um, sesame oil is the kind of the ideal one for all the three for the three doshas. So Ayurveda says that we're made up of three doshas, and it's the five elements as well. And sesame oil was too heating for me and I end up get I got a rash I got a heat rash so sunflower oil is cooling and so is coconut oil so I tried the sunflower oil and it was just perfect it was just it just absorbs really well for my skin I didn't have any just the sesame was too hot you know so and I suppose I was trying to counter the effect of hot sweats as well so I would eat cooling foods you know so Ayurveda is really smart you know so all the spices you can 
used for different reasons. So in wintertime, say I was having porridge and it was wet and damp outside, I'd put cinnamon in my porridge because cinnamon is warm and drying. Some spices are warm and um, um, hydrating with the more moisture. And like in now, all the greens that Mother Nature produces, they've, they're quite hydrating and they're bitter because bitter brings down the heat. You know, so it's really smart. I, I used to think it was quite simple. Then I think it's really complex. But then once you understand what works for you, it's really simple. Yeah. And I love that they, they don't treat a disease, they treat a person. Like to me, like an osteopath where it looks at the whole body, that's what Ayurveda does. So a lot of these, it's been really, I've learned about myself so much with these practices, what foods bring up heat, what foods give me indigestion, what foods unsettle me. And then also, how do you treat these? They are wonderful remedies that absolutely work. You know, if I have eaten something and I know straight away and I've got stomach ache, um, I take a little bit of ground cumin um, a pinch of asafoetida and some sea salt or Himalayan salt. And you take that and you chew it and then warm water. And a couple of minutes, it's gone. Yeah, and there's another remedy and it's with, um, it's with bicarb of soda, lemon juice, bicarb of soda, lemon juice and warm water. It's amazing tonic after you've eaten. But I will say before I finish, because I could talk about this for ages, one of the best things that, um, apart from the aloe and everything else, um, before I eat, to get my digestive fire going, I slice the smallest amount, a really thin slice of fresh organic ginger, and I put sprinkle a little bit of salt on it, and I chew it, and then I take some warm water, and that gets the digestive fire going, so that when you eat, it's ready to, to do its it's it's work yeah and turn it into energy because you can if your digestive fire isn't working you can't no matter if you have the best superfoods the best organic food if, if you don't digest your food it's poison so the little bit of ginger is amazing wow god i, I as you're telling me all this and orna as you know has been a friend of mine for oh god i'd say about 30 years now 25 30 years and I did not think about I didn't know that I could have had all of this while I was going through the menopause I did lots of other things um, but I didn't even think of it so I you make me want to now go and make an appointment with Orna anyway because I at this stage I feel like I need to change the way I'm eating so this is fabulous information and you know it so well you've you, you've probably oh. studied a bit even for yourself I'm, I, I'm really yeah I've, I'm I've always been interested in I suppose Ayurveda but not knowing that much but from an interest from mm -hmm. uh, it just to me it's it sits so well with yoga and it should do because it's the they call them the sister science mm -hmm. um, and I just think it's so beautiful but the more I learn about it it, it screams or it shouts, my hip scream, it shouts to be lived. You know, you live Ayurveda. You abs, you know, it's in my everyday, it's in every meal that I eat. It's in how I touch my body. I, I just think it's amazing. I really do. And it's in your body as well, in your body and your mind. 
that's yeah. that's that's really that is really beautiful um it's really beautiful lisa i love it and you know that leads me into you've you've mentioned yoga and i know that you teach it and you hold workshops but you said that at some point in your life you were led back to doing yoga again uh was that around midlife or when did that happen it was it was after my my mother died um i just felt my my father had died five years earlier and um and sorry do you mind me asking what age were you when your mom died was it related you know did it relate to around the time your menopause came on early no but but i i definitely think it's part of it i was um i was 37 when um my mom died i was 31 when my dad died and um and i i traveled me and my husband that that's kind of how our life was for 10 years we traveled we traveled over southeast asia and india and nepal and and we spent time living in australia we traveled to new zealand a lot we lived in hong kong in the states and and that's what we did and and then after my dad died um, we we traveled um again we did like a year's travel and then that's when we moved to to ireland uh, to galway my dad was from kerry so um it was it, we actually came here to have a different experience of saving up to go traveling <laughs> and we've been here 18 years now we have done some traveling since we got here we did a little bit but it became home it became and it was unexpectedly so I'd, i'm I'd laughing gone. at that because galway somehow i don't what is it about the west of ireland that brings people and keeps them here <laughs> i know but um i just <sighs> It feels home and nothing felt an effort when it came to work, when it came to friendship. And when the way we travel was very independently, you know, we didn't plan any, we, we knew which countries we were going to, but we always wanted to see what happened, where it took us. And we always tried to travel by, don't always think the grass is greener as well. And if we enjoyed somewhere, we stayed and we knew we had the privilege to stay. If we didn't like somewhere, we could just leave. And there are many places we just left, but there are also some places we stayed. And um, so we approached coming to Galway with that frame of mind. We thought six months, maybe a year, but possibly not. But the way it was unfolding to us without effort was, well, let's not rush this if this is how it's unfolding. And and like the friendships I've made here are beautiful. I and they, they took me by surprise, you know, because not that you you work uh, friendships to keep them while you do, you invest in them, but it just came so naturally and so effortlessly and for both of us, you know, which, yeah, and it just seemed to, it's small, but it felt international, but it, it has its own unique charm and it felt cultural, you know, so, the, and then to be, you know, where we are on the edge of the Atlantic, it, it still felt wild and open, yeah. you know, so, and we, we did travel again in 2008 and then we came back and it just felt we were coming back home. So, um, so I, I, um, so it was here in Galway that um, yoga 
happened to me for real. I'd, I had gone to experience yoga in my 20s in the UK and I liked it, but it wasn't life-changing, but this was. And, um, and it was after my my mum had died, I felt I needed, I felt like, not that I was going insane, I, I, I just felt lost. I felt heartbroken. I, I felt we, I suppose, had no community. I don't know. I just felt lost. And um, so I knew I wanted to go. I wanted to try yoga and a friend came with me. But I also was curious about religion as well, because I, I was brought up a Catholic and and it was a good experience um, where I we only had one secondary school, a Catholic school, the rest are all Church of England. And um, it wasn't a strict Catholic upbringing, you know, so there was freedom with it. And I always felt a little bit different in my in my town. I thought it was a, a small town, but when I came here, it was a huge town. <laughs> it was big where, where I'm from. And being a Catholic in that town, you did feel a little bit different. You know, it's... Um, and then just... Just after my mom died, a friend of ours died and his parents were Irish and he was um, he was only a few years older than me. And in my hometown, he had this big funeral and it was a very Irish funeral and lots of Irish music. And and I was still grieving my mom. And I, I actually felt I don't know, I felt closer to her in his funeral and closer to the Irishness because my dad had died as well. So that was something that I just wanted to see. Was there something there that could help me with my mom, you know, as well as, as yoga? And, um, and, and it did for a while. It really did. You know, I felt like I, I'd found a community that, I don't know, it just it gave both of us um, a different experience of living in Galway as well. And, um, and, I also, it was all at the same time. I started yoga. We started going to mass on a Sunday and I, um, I wanted to walk the Camino de Santiago. And um, I, we took 10 days off work and we, we flew into Madrid. We got the train up to Leon, got a bus to Astorga and we walked from Astorga to Santiago. And I, I got an injury again, when you're walking through something, you're more prone to break something. And I was walking through this grief and um, I, I had this really bad injury. We, we got lost over this mountain and the, the weather changed and we were coming down the mountain and I hurt myself. And, but this led us to a place that we didn't plan to stay at. It led me to this this time by myself in this albergue, John had gone walking and I... I got very close to my mum there. I felt her presence and something shifted in me that I know if I wouldn't have been on the Camino, this wouldn't have happened and I wouldn't have had this experience. But then at the end of the Camino, my husband just said, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. I want to do the whole thing. And, um, and then that's what we did the following year. We left our jobs and we left and um, we started in the French Pyrenees and we we walked um, to Santiago and we did that in 33 days. And, um, and because I'd, I'd kind of walked, through, not walked through my whole grief, I never got one injury, I didn't get one blister. So when you go with something on the Camino and you're trying to walk through something, something will happen to you. Absolutely. If you're um, doing this without trying to work through anything, 
you'll just have a dream of a journey. <laughs> you absolutely will. And and each time I've gone with something, I've had an injury. It has been an it has been a pilgrimage. It's been difficult physically, mentally. And but you see that with the people on the the Camino, you see what people are walking with and the the stories that they share with you. And and you could spend and there's something really magical where they tend to people sense that about each other. Somebody will walk past you and they know you want to be alone. And they may only say, Buen Camino. Or you end up walking by somebody and you sense their need to be with somebody. And you could walk with them for three hours. It's just amazing. You share the your life story. It's, it's, it's like a, a silent cord that's in the, the energy or in the, the fabric of the Camino is that it's, it's very special. And um, because of this, our Camino, and because of going back to see would religion help me, um, we ended up um, taking a group of people from the, the, the church community on the Camino. There were 28 of them and myself and John, so there was 30. And um, this was not planned. We went to give some information because part they did an open assembly where they wanted uh, the community to congregation, the community to give suggestions or tell them what would make their their experience of coming to mass more meaningful. How could you? How could what could bring the community together more? And it came up they'd love to do the Camino de Santiago. So John, my husband, said, "Why don't we give them? You know, we we can give you some information." So they organised this um, evening um, where we would just go and talk to them, and um, if they had any questions. And it turned into this big thing where I was then had to stand up and speak and give. Um, um, a talk on the Camino and um, and I said I've, I'll give you a couple of options you can go with Camino ways you can do it independently and they all voted and they said we want to go with you and John and we were like oh my gosh and John was next to me and he was pulling my trousers and he was saying to me we are not going we are not going and I was like oh my gosh so anyway so we did so we organized it and um it was one of the most amazing experiences. Um, and we all thought, well, me, myself and John thought that in this room, these people who come to find out about the Camino, that they all knew each other. They'd been coming to this church for years and years, but it turned out they didn't know each other. But like, so, um, and a lot, of, um, a lot of things shifted for people on the Camino in, in this small group, well, 20, 30 of us. Um, we had two men who were both 81. Um, we had two men on bikes. They were in the 70s. One of them organized his own bike. I organized a bike to be delivered to one of the hotels. And we stayed in a mixture of albergues, monasteries, hotels, and everything was booked individually. And, um, and, and nobody had to wait for anybody. You could get up and do your work, uh, do your walk. And we shared a meal every evening. So everyone could have their own experience. And we'd meet in these little villages for coffee. And it was, it was, it was very special. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, it makes me think that you kind of, in a way, brought them together as a community. 
you know, that they hadn't come, they didn't know each other as well as you thought they did. But they were all yearning for something, for community, yeah. maybe. Uh, we had the a couple of things. There was uh, one of the, the men who was 81, who's, um, who's now 90, 91. Uh, it'll, it'll be actually, yeah, is he 91 yet? So it's going to be our anniversary soon. And um, he said, and um, he said, I, was it two days into the Camino or maybe three? He said something shifted inside of him. He said he felt he was going to die. He'd given up on life. And he said, I just knew I was going to die. And he said, and I, something has shifted. And you could see this man's posture change. Oh. He just, and there was a lady who came and. Um, sorry, Lisa, he was only, he was 81 then. Um, oh. Because when um, when we came back, um, it was very evident that not, that this group didn't want it to end there. So from that same year, so that was 2012, we did that in September. In November, we started a monthly walking group that is, is still going. It's only not going because of the Camino, uh, because of the pandemic. But we carried on. We go once a month to Connemara, to Clare and to Mayo. And that's what we do. And we have a meal after. So we all share a meal. So um, it didn't, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't finished for that group, if you know what I mean. And we have loads of new people come on the walks as well. And Oh, that's so fabulous. And walking together as well. Yeah. I, you just, I wish we weren't in the world, current world situation we were, were in at the moment because the Camino is something I, I've wanted to do for a long time, but just didn't get around to doing it. Uh, but when, when I can, again, you make yeah. me want to do the whole thing. I, you, gosh, in 33 days, that was fast. But you're probably both, you're both very fit, so. We are, we are fit, but it's doable. We had two rest days and we wish we wouldn't have had the rest days because you miss the people. And then we felt we were trying to catch up, you know. Um, okay. You know, it's just, um, we, we also walked in 2016. And again, I did this because of the menopause. I felt like I, um, I needed to spend some time with how my body was changing. And I felt like I needed that space. And we walked the Portuguese Camino from, we did five days in Portugal from Porto to the Spanish border and then the five days to Santiago. And as I said earlier, that when you go with something, your body, your body, something happens to you. And I went with this in my head. I, I had to do this because I needed to come to terms with what was going on with my body changing. And um, my body had different ideas. I think it was trying to tell me, this is going to happen. Yeah, you've got to let it go. You've got to go with the flow and, you know, and nurture what's happening instead of being intellectual about it and thinking, I need to understand this. You know, I need to spend time with it because through this walk from day one, everything external happened to me. Um, I got very bad sunburn on the back of my legs on the first day. I also got blisters as big as I cannot tell you how big they were. You know, they needed to be popped and they needed to be burst at the end of each day with a needle, with a piece of thread. So all the fluid could come out. I got bitten by bed bugs that got infected every day. John looked at me and he'd say, oh, my God, like, how are you able to walk? 
because and I was thinking and then it was literally when the realization that when my light bulb moment was like okay you're trying to teach me something you're trying to teach me that I'm going to be okay that I'm going through this change this transition I'm going to be fine so I needed the blisters and the bed and the bed bug bites and and everything else to sunburn soon as I had that realization everything went all my blisters healed oh I had no marks on my legs my legs were full of marks my sunburn healed and we walked into Santiago with nothing on me I was I was like <laughs> so that was that was my my big lesson you know everything is going to be all right just go with it just let go of what you think you need to think about it you don't you've got to trust you've got to nourish and support this this transition my goodness lisa there is gold in everything that you're saying as someone just listening to you going going through that whole story everything especially how much that everything that you know things that we all go everyone has has issue thing I don't want to use the word issues actually everyone has challenges in their life and things that we have to process and just go through in, in all of our human relationships whatever the relationships are and you are just giving a, a really a really really um vivid description of how that processes through all of our levels, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, uh, particularly with your, with your menopausal journey and with your journey through the Camino. I mean, you really want me, make me want to get, uh, get to the Camino as soon as I can. But uh, like I said earlier, Every friend I know who's who's done the Camino has had a very transformative experience with it. And it's great to hear yours. It's it's so amazing. Um, you you mentioned um, that that religion, how did that um, how did that what that's an interesting journey coming back to it. How have, I don't even know what to ask you, but how has that been? Because obviously that was the religion you grew up with. And like a lot of us, when we're younger, we move away. How do you experience that internally again since going back to Well, I, I've moved away again. Um, okay. it, it sustained me to a point. And I, I think... Um, I suppose you, and I suppose that's what I, I couldn't really, I suppose, sit with that well. You take what you take from it, what nourishes you, but there's so much else that doesn't sit well. And um, and it was, and at the time, the, the priest that was there was, he was very special. Um, he taught at the university, so he had a different, he had a different energy. He talked a lot about literature and poetry, but he told jokes as well. And he had, he, I suppose, being at the university, being around young people as well, really kept his, his energy, not, not in dogma, if, if that makes sense. And um, he really brought the community together. He walked the Camino with us and, um, and every day he walked by himself 
And then every evening he'd be in the middle of the table with the bottle of wine telling the stories, you know, but he had his own pilgrimage to walk. And um, and then we, uh, we had this, this lovely man called Jerry who wanted to be part of it, but didn't want to walk it. So he came and he picked up a, um, a hire van. So what he used to do, he used to go ahead and find a place on the Camino where he'd set up and he'd have fruit and water and juices for everybody so they could have a break. But what he also did, he went ahead and he went to the church where we were staying that night and he'd speak to the priest and asked if our priest could say mass to us um, in these different churches and it ended up being very special you know sometimes we did them in hotel rooms we did them in gardens we did them oh I just and it was and the mass that he um he hosted was very personal to our experience that day you know and what he had experienced um so far on the Camino so we all felt it it wasn't like we're reading this because it's in the book and this is what we have to, um, well, this is what I have to preach. It came from him and his heart and his understanding of Christianity. So it was it was a really lovely part of each day was those little masses. You know, it's, um, but then coming back, he um, he was, it just, it just feels like he was plucked out of his community and he was sent somewhere else. And, and the whole community fell, fell apart and they were heartbroken. He'd been there, I want to say 30 years and he'd built that up. And um, so that was one of those things that made me wanted to back back away. It was like, how, how could, how can that happen to him and us as a community that, and then, then they put somebody in there and no fault of his own. He wanted to do things differently, you know, and, so it goes back to the hierarchy and what do they really care about, you know, and, you know, so I suppose in that, and the more I delved into my yoga more and more of my, my study, the deeper I got into that and the less that appealed to me. Um, but what I do say, and um, those people in that community who came on the Camino and that really held me and my husband at that time, they're still in our lives and we do those walks once a month, you know, so I, I still feel connected, you know, without the having to show up once a week and, you know, and what I, and what I did feel like was people were also showing up to be together you know, to see each other because there was a lot of the coffees after after mass and a lot of the standing outside for nearly an hour talking, you know, that was really important to their community that they had that contact with each other. So my 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 studies now and where my heart is is really in the philosophies of yoga and and that makes more sense to me. It feels intuitively more the way I want to live my life. But a lot of the messages are the same when they're taken, when you do the study, you know, they're, they're not that different. It's, it's then how they're transformed and manipulated. That's right. Yeah, the essence of it is always the, the, the beauty that's in it. And I'd be quite, quite like yourself. I, I did 
uh, grow up with some religion. Um, but And we had a great minister. I grew up in uh, Presbyterian religion not until I was about 10, but my mom was atheist. Um, but uh, we had a really fantastic uh, minister when I was just a teenager and he did so much with the youth and he brought everyone together and everybody loved him. But like that, they do, they get plucked away and they're sent to another community and um, it just wasn't the same after he left. Um, and so it is down to the person and, and really community and how how they want to integrate the, the community and bring it together. And generally it isn't about controlling it either, you know, when it really, really works really well. No. Uh, but you're still together. Do you ever see that priest? Uh, no, he's, you know, he got me, he was in Dublin. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Cause once they, they go, they, they're integrated into another community. I suppose they have to leave behind uh, whatever, whoever they were with before. I think he, he sneaks down to Galway whenever he can. He misses it, I would say. Oh, and rightly so. He should do. Because there are people, you, you get a love for people. You can't just drop the love and the connection with people. It should never be dropped or, or disconnected. How can you disconnect from that when, when, it's, when, when it's been, when the love has come there? So, um, Lisa, what has been the toughest things that you've had to overcome in your life or just even one thing? If there's one, because there's probably a number of things that you've overcome at this stage. And the word, yeah, and the word, the word challenge is, um, I just, I think in general, life is challenging. Um, I don't think I've, I've overcome one big thing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Well, I do struggle and sometimes I do, sometimes I don't with, um, with my relationship to money. Um, and I was, I was trying to really think about this and I know I'm doing some work on it and I know I can trace it back to the way I suppose my mother was with money and she was generous to a fault. We never, ever did without anything, but I know that um, she would have had to work so hard and to balance what she balanced, I don't know how she did it, um, but she will give her last, her last bit of money in her purse to somebody. She just, and she was, yeah, very, very generous. And um, my relationship then is, I, I suppose I struggle with it. I, I sometimes I feel I have a, a fear. Um, a Scarcity is um, a really strange word because I know that we're fed scarcity constantly and it's not true. And I know that money is energy. And, um, and, and I think it's when I'm more, when I've had constant work and it's a little bit different now and my life's different now and the way teaching is, it's not a regular flow of money. And when I say I've worked in the past and I've got a regular flow of money, I don't have those issues that I have around money. So when I have that space between that regular flow of money, I, I fall into that fear and that scarcity. And, um, and that's what I'm trying to unpack at the moment and not be as fearful of it as it is. Um, and, and the way 
the energy is of money is that it will come, but it has to go as well, you know, and, and we've got to let it flow and that it becomes toxic when it's held on to. I mean, something that I've, I've never done because I'm, I'm, I'm generous myself when I have it. And I suppose my husband would, would kind of say the same, like you're too generous. Um, I never think you can be too, but when I looked at my mom, <laughs> you know, so I know I have lessons there. Um, to unpack um i just need it need it to be a bit healthier i think you know so when those times come when um there isn't a guaranteed money coming in that i'm not so fearful you know because fearful then turns into worry and worry is pointless and so i i do that work and i i know that i i kind of need to to shift it sometimes i'm better at shifting it um and not so good at others so that's that's my my work with my challenge, and they are challenges, all right. Because you 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 know you're you're right. What you said about uh, how money is how that is sort of manipulated. Because I I went back to college a good few years ago, and uh, one of the things that I remember coming into my mind really strongly was. Oh, the monetary system, it's like a form of enslavement in a way, really. Why do we even need money in the first place? Can we, you know, it's not even idealistic. I think we'll get to that maybe in a 50 or 100 years time where money doesn't even come into play, you know, that we're all productive and working for the greater whole without the need of money. So there is a huge underlying thing in that, Lisa, in terms of, you know, if you don't have it regularly, you need this thing to or in order to pay all these things so that you can actually survive. So there's a lot in that. And if you, if you start delving really into it, I'd love to have a conversation with you about it because it's something I have a lot of interest in as well. I've, I've got to say, though, but there we have so much power as spenders where we spend our money, mm-hmm. you know, and we give a lot of our power away. And I, I think it is it can be so satisfying to where you spend your money is to support somebody that is from the the ground up doing amazing work, you know, and whether that is growing organic fruit and veg, some artisan person crafting something, you know, you know, it's, and it's like, it's very easy to buy fashion, but you could spend that money on supporting somebody that could make something that is so unique and that takes so much skill and so much love and care has gone into making that, that one item, you know, that you're supporting a a small industry, then a little craft industry, like your money is then going into something to create something that's then going to come back out. And that's how I'd like to see that energy flow. You know, it flows into you, let it flow out, but let it be really nurturing, really nourishing the way it comes back into me. And then how I put that back into community. And I really care about money being circulated within the community that you live in, mm-hmm. you know, instead of it just, it's very easy for it to go out to Amazon and to, to buy online, you know, it's, um, and then it's dispersed, it's gone. And where's that energy gone as well? Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, that's really interesting. Um, I love listening to this lady called um, Jacqueline Hobbs. She goes under the name of Oracle Girl, um, on her website 
and she has she has brought that this up a number of times be aware of where you spend your money and that's so true and I really and I thought about where I'm spending my money recently and uh, on the whole I'm spending it in good you know in good places you know it's for the benefit it's for it's like you say what do you call that a circular economy is it yeah. is that what you call yeah, it a circular it yeah. economy yeah, yeah, I try every, even if I go to the local supermarket that's Irish, I will buy the food that's been grown in Ireland as much as I can. Obviously, I love avocados, so they're not, they're not grown in Ireland. But yeah, it's, it's a, a very important, it's a very into, important topic that you, you just touched on there. And it's really worth delving into. Um, what are you most proud of in your life? Um, my marriage, if I can, if I can say that, because um, I feel very, very blessed um, to have the friendship and the places that we've explored together, you know. And I think um, we've been together thirty-one years, and both of us have lost both parents and that changed our relationship it really it made us really tight we like this is us now you know we are our family you know and and that it's just it's unspoken it's just really really felt um and we came from john being quite quiet and reserved to me being quite wild and and um, out there for, and I think I, I needed at that very time as well to be kind of be brought down off the table, dancing on the table and to bring, to draw, to kind of reel me in and then for John to be uplifted a little bit more and express what was out, you know, expressing himself, what he really wanted to experience. And so I think we're very good for each other. And then the traveling really just I want to say just solidified our, our being together. We traveled so well together. And I think once you can travel well together to the places we've traveled and the time we spent together, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a solid um, relation. The foundation of our relationship is really solid. And I feel really proud of that. You know, it's, um, I've got a very special friend, you know, as well as, you know, feel very lucky. My, my friendships as well. Um, my friendships from my my childhood. Um, I've one friend from the age of four and one from the age of eleven. And you know, and when I was traveling, my mom used to have. My mom was a great hostess, and all my friends absolutely loved my mom. And um, we used to. I know when I was at home on a Friday night, we'd go to to my mom's, and my friends used to call it Friday night at Pat's. And there'd be wine, there'd be mood, there'd be everything. And um, and when we started traveling, my friends used to go to Friday night at Pat's. And um, and sometimes, depending where we were, like when we were traveling, there was no mobile phones. You'd have to go where there was a phone, you know. And and, and we, I'd occasionally ring on a Friday night and they'd be at my mum's. And I, it was just, oh. it was just very special, really lovely. And, um, and then... I'm I'm in awe of nature. I'm, I'm absolutely in awe, just everything. And like we were talking, you were talking about the plant, but like the soil is so important. And 
you know, and the damage that we as a species have and are doing to soil is unbelievable. But when it is pure and, you know, like there's chemotherapy in soil and and then that should come into us. But when that soil isn't pure, when it's been contaminated and especially when you're when it's genetically modified plants, you're not getting that medicine from the soil, you know, so it's it's that's why it's so important to like when we look at where we spend our money and who's growing what and how are they growing it you know that we we have that food that is grown in soil that isn't toxic or poisonous or contaminated so we get all that amazing medicine and nourishment into us you know and it's the same when we pollute the 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 atmosphere the air but then we have these amazing trees that clean it for us you know it's just it blows my mind when um I, I think about it that like that and and that's why Ayurveda is as kind of integrated into my life so seamlessly because of that, because of its relationship to the seasons, to what we we digest and and then what we put on our skin, you know, like only put on your skin what you take internally. And that that cuts out a lot of the the toxic and the, you know, and it's and it's the same and what you can clean with, you know, as well that like you can you can clean naturally, you know. When you do that as well, you're also taking out the plastic, you know. So it, to me, it's all connected because I can say I can, I could I could speak to you about plastic for a whole um, podcast. But when I I talk about plastic to people and they're talking about the environment, sometimes you can see they don't get the connection because if you care about not using plastic, you're already drawn to the environment because what you're going to, to have, you have to have a relationship with the environment, not to buy things in plastic. You know, it, it changes your relationship. So it's all connected. It's all definitely interconnected. You've got a very integrate, integrated way of looking at uh, life it's a, it's a really special way that you look at life. There's so many aspects I can, I'm already going, oh my God, I can get Lisa back on to talk about this, that, and the other. There's so many ways that you bring it all together. It's very, very rounded. And it's been a real pleasure talking to you, um, Lisa. My, my, my final question to you today is what do you most value in life? And you've probably touched on everything already. I have, yeah. People, community, that intimacy that we, when we're able to share um, what is moving us, what is healing us to share that. And then just what I've just said about nature, just it, I'm in awe of nature and um and i think to be in awe of something is when you feel moved you know and and a lot of the time we can walk around numb being moved by nothing just getting from one thing to the next thing to one moment to the next one day to the next and it's a struggle so i think if there's one thing that we can do is try and look let it be something let it be a skill that we we tune up you know uh, this looking for awe where can we find awe in our life you know where do we look up do we look inside do we look around us like where is it you know it can be the simplest things you know it could be an object in your house you know that you can turn that into awe and then these little shifts 
you know, so that we're alive, you know, to and awake to what's around us. Yeah, I feel very lucky, very blessed. Yeah. I can't think of a better way to finish up this first, I hope, of a few more conversations than that. Unless, Lisa, there's anything else left that you would like to say or that you felt that you didn't say earlier? No, I just want to say thank you for um, letting me letting me speak and sharing what I've experienced, but for holding the space so beautifully as well. So thank you, Jill. Oh, thank you. It was an absolute pleasure every minute of it, um, Lisa, and uh, I know it will be for our listeners as well. Thank you for listening to Lady Time and my conversation with Lisa Berry today. I hope you enjoyed it. I know you will enjoy it. And uh, please listen uh, up for further episodes coming very soon. And please share this conversation with your friends and very widely on social media if you can. Thank you very much.